Welcome to the Redshirt Collective, a Star Trek watch-along podcast where we analyze and talk about all seven seasons of Star Trek The Next Generation from a radical leftist perspective. So energized with Earl Grey tea and chocolate from The Replicator, set your phasers to fun, and prepare to engage. Ready, Captain? Yes, Captain. Make, Make it, it so. so. Welcome aboard. Hey, Nick. Hey, Mike. What are we talking about today? Oh my God, I don't even know. So in the US, and I think maybe in Canada, uh, Star Trek Next Generation has been pulled from Netflix, which is a tragedy. And now we have to watch it on Paramount Plus. And they list episode one as episode one, but then episode two is listed as episode three. So now we're all a mess. <laughs> Who knows? What are we, sounds more like Paramount minus to me. Oh, sick burn. <laughs> <laughs> so today we're talking about Star Trek Next Generation, season one, episode eight or nine, depending on what you're watching it on. Uh, the battle, the one in which Picard gets a headache. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Proving that when a man gets a headache, the, 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 the universe truly does stop. <laughs> it's so true. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, I'll be up front and say uh, I think I've divulged this in the past, but I'm not the biggest uh, Jean-Luc Picard fan. Uh -huh. I don't hate him. I just don't find him compelling. So uh -huh. in this uh, Picard-centric episode, I was like, what is happening? Uh -huh. <laughs> Why are we doing this? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I am a pretty big Picard fan, mostly for what he did for us bald-headed men. Uh, the, <laughs> yeah. the, the the actor, as opposed to um, you know the uh, the character himself. <laughs> oh no, although I guess I guess as a character, he really you know sexified baldness. Yeah. He did. Um, yeah, and so I, I I owe him a debt of gratitude. But I I will. This episode did make me long for this mythical future in which headaches no longer exist. Oh so, my god! You know. I know. I have a headache right now, and I'm just like, oh, I wish Bev could just shoot me with something in my head and make me feel better. I know. I know. I was like, where's that little zappy thing for, for me? I didn't see that in a pharmacy. I know. I know. <sighs> uh, all right. Well, let's get into it. I have a lot to say, but also not much to say about this episode. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's do it. All that. right. So we kick off the episode with the Enterprise hovering in space near a Ferengi ship. The Ferengi have requested a meeting with the Enterprise, and though the crew has arrived and let the Ferengi know that they're ready to meet, the Ferengi have only responded with, stand by, Enterprise. We see the Ferengi's tricked out horseshoe crab ship chilling on screen, mm -hmm. and we wonder, what's afoot? We join <laughs> Dr. Beverly. What, really, what, what could go wrong? Right. What what could happen here? We join Dr. Beverly Crusher as she's called to Captain Jean-Luc Picard's private quarters where he complains of feeling fatigued and having a terrible headache. Beverly says, a what? And Picard barks at her, headache, headache. Surely she knows what a headache is. <laughs> Beverly responds, of course she knows what a headache is, but that headaches are rare nowadays and typically an indication of something serious. After examining his pointy head, she can't find anything wrong with him. I will say as much as he did for bald people, yeah. he also did it for pointy-headed people like myself. 
Yeah, he really does not have. Yeah, it is kind of an ovular. ovular? Oh, it's very pointed. Yeah, yes. it's it's rather pointed. I will also just you know make the observation that uh, his private quarters with the fish tank were really giving off a serious early '90s orthodontist office vibe. <laughs> <laughs> I was having flashbacks to to getting my braces changed, you know, where you get the different colored rubber bands on there. Yeah. Oh, that's so true. I love it. Picard theorizes that the stress of waiting for the Ferengi is the cause, but Bev wants to run some more tests, so she orders him to sickbay, giving us yummy Dom energy as she says that she's the only person on the ship who can give him an order. And letting him know she's not to be trifled with. Commander Will Riker pages Picard just at that moment and says they finally have a message back from the Ferengi. And like the good little brat that Picard is, he tells the Dami doctor, sorry, he'll have to come to sickbay another time. She gives him a stern look and we leave the simmering sexual tension in Picard's quarters to head on over to the bridge. Up on the bridge, the crew open communications with Ferengi captain Damon Bach. Bach claims to know Picard, but Picard does not recognize him. Bach says he has asked the Enterprise there to discuss a mutual problem, which wasn't even a problem. Anyway, <laughs> the writing on this one is so bad. Yeah, it, <laughs> it's, just, it's like, not the best. It was so hard to write these notes and not nitpick like every little thing. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <clears throat> so uh, he said he's asked the Enterprise there to discuss a mutual problem and insists on meeting in person on either vessel. The bridge crew close communications to discuss this privately, and Counselor Deanna Troy informs them that she senses considerable deception and danger on Box Park, which huh. Box Part, <laughs> which yes, girl, as do the rest of us. Yeah. Riker suggests that they should have Box come aboard the Enterprise to have home court advantage, to which Picard agrees. Picard invites Bach over and he accepts, acting highly sus as the Ferengi always do. Junior security officer Worf is pissed and Picard concedes that Bach did agree a bit easily while anxious music plays in the background. <laughs> Foreshadowing. <laughs> I know this one was, I, I will say, just a tad bit insulting to the audience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just a little. Yep. <laughs> When we come back from the intro, we see Picard has finally made it down to Mommy. Sorry, Mommy. Sorry, Dr. Crusher in Sick Bay. That's for the youth who will get that joke from TikTok. I want I want all the young people to know I'm still hip with the times. I literally... Because they're so down with TNG. Like, all the young people. All the young people are like, TNG is where it's at. Our show's target demographic is really that, you know... 18 to 24 range yeah oh yeah (laughs) right right in the sweet spot there uh picard's laying on bev's table asking if she's accustomed to always getting her way bev is again insisting that he shouldn't have a headache unless something is wrong saying that now that the brain is charted they're essentially a thing of the past like Uh. the common cold oh my god sign me up Ugh, same. Even after all her scans, Dr. Crusher still can't find any physical cause for Picard's headache. Bev gives him a pain blocker, which helps for now. Foreshadowing. More ominous music. (laughs) (laughs) 
Bev says she wants more exams, to which Picard exclaims, Doctor! And she haughtily explains that she'll wait till the Frangi matter is settled before taking them. We jump to the bridge where Wesley Crusher toddles in to tell everyone they're about to get an intruder alert. <laughs> <laughs> Riker gets gruff with him, of course, right before the intruder alert starts clanging. Picard joins them as Wesley is explaining that he picked up on the ship while boosting their long-distance sensors. Data huh? perks right up, saying, boosting it? How? And then in response to Picard's stern look, slinks back into his seat, saying, we'll discuss this later. <laughs> and I am very angry that we don't get to see that conversation between my two favorite boys nerding out on sensors. Yeah, and I will say it was one of those rare occasions where I kind of, I kind of, you know, give Riker a pass on that one because it was sort of obnoxious. <laughs> he just goes I will, <laughs> I will concede that this is one episode where I'm like, okay, Wesley is being a little annoying. <laughs> Mark the date and the time. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, fine. <laughs> we'll give you that one. I'll give you this one. We learn that the ship is an old Starfleet starship heading their way. Picard is stricken with a terrible pang of pain in his head. Try to say that three times fast. Mm -hmm. As he's talking about the correct procedure for the ship. When Riker asks if he's okay, Picard states, it's just a mild headache to which Deanna Troy looks startled like she might fall off her chair. <laughs> Picard berates Wesley for wasting time coming to the bridge in person instead of notifying everyone over comms. And Wesley takes it like a champ. Yeah, I mean, fair enough. Yeah. It's now time for the Frangi to beam over, and they are beamed to the bridge, which I always find really awkward, <laughs> just suddenly having these new people in this weird small space. The two captains introduce their teams to one another, and of course, we get another, we heard you use clothed females line. <laughs> Most interesting, to which fuckboy Riker salaciously grins and says, they are that, sir. <laughs> <laughs> the Frankie then try to buy Data. Instead of telling them off, Riker condescends to them like children and says that Data is secondhand merchandise and that they wouldn't want him. Secondhand, sir, Data queries, and then deadpan, oh, of course, a human joke. <laughs> savage yeah that wasn't even a good joke i mean it was just <laughs> Riker was kind of like giving up the vibes like i'm so sexy and funny but it was like all he said was more like kind of creepy and lame <laughs> i know Riker had like like spicy dad energy in this episode mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like he got a new haircut or something and was really feeling himself <laughs> And you're like, okay, dude, calm down. <laughs> okay, we get it. <laughs> <laughs> we get it. Security officer Tasha Yar gives an update on the ship that is headed their way, and Damon Bach informs them that the ship is under his control and is a gift of sorts for Picard to honor the hero of Maxia. Picard has no idea what Bach is talking about, but after consulting Data, realizes that he's referring to a battle that happened nine years prior and essentially made Picard famous when he defended his ship against an unidentified attacker. Bach screams, unidentified, in rage, and then informs them that the fine vessel that was destroyed in the battle was Ferengi. And I'm like, is no one on this ship paying attention? Yeah, I, I, this was where I felt a little bit insulted. I was like... 
It was very insulting. Really? Really, guys? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was very <sighs> insulting. Yes. Picard uh, quite condescendingly says, The Battle of Maxia. I've never heard it referred to quite so dramatically before. And it's like, dude, read the room. Right. Picard expresses his regrets, but says the ship refused to identify itself and then attack them unprovoked, and therefore they had no choice but to defend themselves. Box says that such mistakes happen in space, but Data retorts that it was hardly a mistake that Picard's report shows that the Ferengi ship deliberately attacked the Starfleet vessel. The ship that the Ferengi have brought to the Enterprise is brought up on screen, and Bach mentions that there's no one aboard and that the files of this long-lost ship will be downloaded to the Federation's files at no price oh. to the complete shock and dismay of his subordinates. I know, that scene was kind of ridiculous. <laughs> it was so ridiculous. <laughs> and again, and again, nobody was concerned about this on the Enterprise. I know. <laughs> the fact Just... that the guy's crew was like, what the heck are you doing? And everyone on the Enterprise was <laughs> like, mm, okay. <laughs> Picard questions the purpose of this gift when he is again hit with a tremendous headache. Box says perhaps it is Picard's conscience, conscience that is causing him pain. <laughs> Deanna runs up to Picard and says she just felt something too. It, it felt as if it were something from Picard's past. <laughs> Which, okay, girl. Mm, yeah, wow, really insightful. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> She's just like a fucking TV psychic or something. I yeah, it it can, remember, it's like oh, you lost someone with a T in their name or like a father figure. Do you remember the psychic hotline? Yes. <laughs> I mean, this is totally a period appropriate reference I'm making here. It really is. Yeah. She, yeah. It felt like when they were like writing her character profile, someone had just seen one of those commercials and was like, yeah, that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's who she is. <laughs> that's who she is. That's how her powers work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The pain passes and Picard proceeds to ask what this is all about. And Bach again says that the ship is a gift to honor the Battle of Maxia, even though he's just made it incredibly clear that he's enraged by this event and clearly has it out for Picard. He invites Picard to look at the ship more closely, and lo and behold, it's the ship that destroyed the Ferengi ship in said battle, Picard's old stargazer. Bach claims to have stumbled upon the stargazer adrift out in space. He, for a third time, proclaims this is a gift in an act of friendship, though his subordinates seem to insinuate that giving something for free is ugly. Very ugly. <laughs> I still cannot wrap my head around what is happening, given that the Frangi are saying all of this stuff out loud in front of everyone, but somehow the episode just keeps plodding along. Yeah, I mean, it's like somewhat plausible in that they're setting up the fact that the crew never really understood fully what the captain was doing, mm -hmm. but, it, but it's set up in such a clunky way that you're just <laughs> kind so of like... Clunky. Yes, yes. When we cut back to the episode, we find the Ferengi back aboard their vessel, the Enterprise towing the Stargazer behind it, and Picard back in Beverly's bed mm. in sickbay. <laughs> Deanna is there with them, and they're all talking about the new occurrences of Picard's headache, which she says have hit with more force than before. Deanna said she felt something like a thought, but rather mechanical in nature, what? which I think is funny in a silly way when you know what happens later. <laughs> 
<laughs> Picard starts recalling the battle in question, how the stargazer caught fire and says that he can sell- smell smoke and it seems as if he's reliving the experience. Riker comes in to say that they're ready for Picard in the conference room and Bev decides to join them to keep an eye on the captain. In the conference room, Picard is recounting the incident for the senior crew. According to him, the stargazer was traveling through the Maxia Zeta star system when a ship appeared out of nowhere and fired on them at point-blank range and then fired on them a second time. As he's telling the story, Picard seems to slip into the memory again as if he's reliving it. Shaking it off, Picard continues the story and we find out here that the maneuver that Picard used to destroy the Ferengi ship is now referred to in Starfleet textbooks as the The Picard Picard maneuver. maneuver. (laughs) A move where he basically manages to appear like he was in two places at once. Riker nearly spooges himself fanboying over all of this. Picard finishes the tale saying they limped through space in a shuttlecraft for weeks afterwards saying they barely made it and then claims he hasn't thought about this event in years. Yeah, this famous event that ended up in Starfleet Academy textbooks that everyone knows that was (laughs) really only nine years ago, which is not that long. And he has never thought about it again. And would have been pretty early in his career. Right. And fairly formative. Yeah. But, you know. But... Yep, just slept his mind. Hasn't thought about it. But remember, th- that's the Starfleet way, right? We we just move on. We just move on from the past. We don't we don't fix anything. We don't repair anything. We just move to the future. <laughs> yeah. Well, and we can't let stories linger because then no. we'd have to acknowledge that everyone would just have crippling PTSD all the time, right. and that's not fun. Right. So we just have to act like these traumatic events are like no big deal. Exactly. Exactly. <sighs> Picard beams over to the stargazer, once given the all-clear by Tasha. He ends up in his old cabin, looking through his old things, when in his trunk, an incredibly poorly concealed giant ball lights up bright red. Picard doesn't notice this, of course, but he has a corresponding shot of pain through his skull. We then cut to Damon Bach on the Ferengi ship and see that he's controlling a device that looks very similar to the one in Picard's cabin aboard the stargazer, and it's made clear that he is the cause of Picard's headaches in a reveal that surprised no one ever. <laughs> Look at our shock. <laughs> <laughs> Twist. <laughs> Picard joins them back on the bridge of the Enterprise and tells Riker the experience was strange. <laughs> like going back to the house you grew up in, but no one's home except phantoms of the past. Mm. Picard was very poetic in this one. He had a lot of like very wistful lines in this episode. Yeah. Picard then complains again of a headache and orders Riker to take over, going to lay down in his private quarters, and we can hear that the incident is replaying in his mind as he drifts off to sleep. Meanwhile, Data bursts into the ready room where Riker is and reports that the records aboard the Stargazer conflict with Picard's account of the battle, that the records on the Stargazer state that the Ferengi ship was flying under a flag of truce and that Picard destroyed the ship without notice or provocation. This report is logged in Picard's own voice. Riker brings Picard in and plays the recording for him. Picard obviously denies ever making the report, and Riker believes him, but still has to report the incident to Starfleet, which will take one full day to get there and one full day to hear back. (laughs) They were very intent on letting us know the logistics of this communication. Exactly, because we had to know there had to be like a time-sensitive decision-making element here. 
Of course. Picard says he hopes to have this all figured out by then. Bev comes to check on Picard in his quarters. She theorizes that the headaches must be an emotional response to the events aboard the Stargazer, but Picard points out that he was getting these headaches before he even knew about the ship or is reminded of the incident that he totally forgot about. Mm -hmm. She offers to talk, and Picard finally expresses some semblance of remorse or gravity at the fact that he destroyed an entire vessel, killing everyone aboard. Bev asks if he felt that he had a choice, and Picard says he doesn't know anymore, seeming really distressed and confused. As he's talking to her, Beverly, out of absolutely fucking nowhere, sedates Picard without his consent and puts him to bed. I More know. on that later. <laughs> and, like, fully clothed with, like, a blanket. I was like, this looks like <laughs> yes. the least comfortable sleeping situation ever. Can you imagine, like, sleeping in that... It just looks like polyester. Oh, no. Just, ugh, not, non-breathable material. Yeah. And, like, sweating and just, ugh, ugh God. Ugh, yeah, I, I, that, that, that scene was making me feel uncomfortable just because of me that. Me, too. <laughs> I'm so glad you pointed that out because I was like, I don't know if it's my autism, but this is, like, so uncomfortable to me. <laughs> oh, no, it's, like, yeah, like, that's just legitimately a disturbing scene. <laughs> <laughs> And not because of the lack of consent and being knocked out, but because of sleeping in your Sleep, uniform. Sleeping in polyester. That's <laughs> yeah. just, that is a bridge too far. <laughs> I mean, fair. Uh, we see Picard asleep, sweating, making very sexy little noises while dreaming of the battle. We see Bach again controlling de- the device, and he says menacingly, you will hurt yourself as you hurt me. Yikes. Foreshadowing. Yeah, and that is, it is the universe's most comical looking device, too. <laughs> Like, I was like, okay, I get it. You know, it's, it's you know, late 80s, early 90s kind of, you know, feel here. But wouldn't, I mean, couldn't you just gone with something smaller? Like, I'm yeah. thinking like Magic 8 Ball size or something. Or like a Simon, right. like a Simon board, you know? Oh, a Simon board would be good. That would be really good, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah this was up there with like Star Trek um, gluing like hair to animals or like... <laughs> horns to animals to make them look like aliens yeah yeah (laughs) it was like this uh anyway it looked very it looked very like 60s 70s to me and i'm like okay i know it's the 90s but like this is still 20 30 years (laughs) more advanced than this thing looks i think they blew their budget on the ferengi costumes that was what you know because the ferengi costumes are pretty you know they're pretty detailed i will say they are they look pretty good i agree and they're yeah they're Makeup and prosthetics must be yeah. really expensive because they're quite detailed. Yeah. Well, fair, you know. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to cut some corners, I guess. Yep. So that's why we end up with somebody just like taking a globe from <laughs> like history professor's <laughs> office and just painting it orange. Oh my god. <laughs> uh. Meanwhile, in the ready room, I think, I wasn't quite clear what room they were in, but Dato is getting yelled at by Riker while trying to tell him that he's proven that the Stargazer log is a forgery, as they all thought. Picard wanders in, all chipper and acting out of character. He kicks everyone out except Riker and then orders Riker to release the Stargazer from the tractor beam, claiming that he's doing this to conserve energy as the ship will continue to be pulled along with them by inertia. Riker is confused, but Picard roasts him when he tries to question it, so he leaves to carry out Picard's command with a wounded little boy look on his face. 
In sickbay, Deanna and Beverly are discussing Picard's condition. Deanna says it feels like he's had... <laughs> Fucking Deanna in this episode. It feels like he has two sets of random thoughts, as if they're his, but intermixed with other thoughts, which are also his. <laughs> Thanks, so, Deanna. <laughs> so deep. I was like, whoa, so, whoa. So he has thoughts. <laughs> Yeah, but it's like he Got has it. like more than one thought. <laughs> That's the thing. <laughs> it's like there are Someone multiple thoughts. Someone should have been thoughts. like, Deanna, um, can you chew gum and walk at the same time? <laughs> like, what is happening? Oh, uh, poor Marina Sirtis. I mean, she didn't write the episode. <laughs> she was no, just and she did her best. She did. And yeah. I will say, she looks so beautiful in this episode. Uh-huh. She's just such a striking woman. They had her in the full uh, red jewel hair updo oh, yeah. situation, which I always appreciate. Yeah. Yeah. No, she was delightful. Like, the actress did what she could with these lines. Absolutely. She was very cute, but it's like, it's just so ridiculous. <laughs> Wesley comes charging in out of breath. Bev tells him before he's even said anything that she's busy, but he insists it's important. He explains that he saw Picard's brain scans when his mom was studying them and noticed that they look similar to the low intensity transmissions from the Ferengi ship. When he checked, the scans were exactly the same. Bev and Deanna brush past Wesley to go tell Riker about the scans without so much as a thank you or any sort of acknowledgement to which Wesley says, you're welcome, ladies. And then adults <laughs> to himself. Indeed, my sweet baby boy, indeed. Best line of the episode. Oh, hands <laughs> down. Adults. Adults. <laughs> also, like the, you're welcome, ladies, was, was, pretty, was pretty great. It was so great. It was so fucking rude. Like they were yeah. like attacking him basically and then just left and weren't even like, thank you. Or like, why yeah. not have him come with you? Yeah. Because then they get to the bridge and they're trying to explain it and they don't even know what they're talking about. Yeah. They're like, Wesley anyway. just told us something really important, but we just blew him off and ran here. <laughs> right. <laughs> Oh, my God. Oh. And also, well, I'm sorry, why didn't they get yelled at for coming in person to the bridge instead to say something instead cons. of... Yeah. Yeah. Double standards. Jeez. Upon hearing the news, uh, Riker asks the computer for a location on Picard, which comes back as transporter room three, and then almost immediately, no longer on the ship. Picard is beamed aboard the Stargazer. Bach is there, holding the other device, the matching device, He turns it up, causing Picard pain. As he does, the bridge crew on the Enterprise picks up on the transmission and somehow connected to the device and Picard's belongings, which are now aboard the Enterprise in his private quarters. Wait, that doesn't make sense to me, though, because isn't the point that there are the two devices? And don't they... Dude, Doesn't Picard have to be in proximity to one (laughs) of the devices? The two... This episode, the two device thing made no sense because he was having the headaches before the other one was even anywhere near him. Yeah. So I don't know why the other one even needed to exist in the first place. It didn't make any sense. Wait, wouldn't they just need one device? Yeah. Okay. Bach reveals that it was his son that was the captain of the vessel that Picard destroyed. Twist. And then he's dreamed of revenge, spending his entire life's profits to purchase the devices that have been causing Picard so much pain and will now control him to use the Stargazer to attack the Enterprise by making him think he's back in the midst of the Maxia battle. 
On board the Enterprise, helmsman Jordi LaForge is inspecting the device from Picard's quarters and hypothesizes that it's some kind of amplifier. Riker pings Bok's first officer, Kazago, and shows him the device, to which Kazago says it's forbidden and calls it a thought maker. We then get Picard on screen from the Stargazer, and he's clearly planning to attack the Enterprise, running through the actions of what he did on that fateful day nine years prior. We see the ghosts of his crew members and the fire as he runs around giving orders to echoes of the past. Kind of an awkward scene, but <laughs> I, so I will awkward. say, Kazago, the, the the guy who played Kazago, like that was a pretty well acted scene. Like the way that he, like the look on his face, like you could you could see the wheels turning where he was like, oh, this is a problem. You know, like I, yeah. like, I, I did like that scene. I thought it kind of salvaged like some of the awkwardness. Um. But then it's followed by by Picard's ghost people scene, which was, again, just kind of awkward. Um, I agree. I do think the actor who played Kazago did a really good job in all of his scenes. Uh-huh. Uh, just like really, he like leaned into the campiness of the Ferengi, but uh-huh. also did like really genuinely display emotion and yeah. some subtlety. And I, yeah, I agree. He yeah. did a good job. That was the weird part of this episode is I feel like most of the actors actually did a really good job. They did. It's just that the writing was terrible. I, I, but that's the thing with Star Trek too. I, I think with TNG, you just have so many phenomenal performances. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. That, that salvages maybe some of the weaker episodes. I completely agree. Yeah. Deanna picks up on anger and fury from Picard and the bridge crew finally realize what's happening, that Picard is reliving the battle and repeating the actions he took on that day. As they know he will use it soon, Riker asks Data what the defense against the Picard maneuver is, to which Data solemnly replies, there is no defense. And Riker then orders him to come up with one fast. Which was the most ridiculous thing. (laughs) It was like the the equivalent of like in a movie when someone's like, I'm going to hack into the mainframe. Mash, 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 mash. I'm in. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Well, and also before that being like, this is unhackable. And then being like, well, you have to hack it fast. And then the person being like, okay, (laughs) done. (laughs) You're like, okay. (laughs) Kazago pops back on screen saying he doesn't want to be involved in Federation business and informs Riker that he's confined Bach to his quarters for this unprofitable venture. He wishes Riker luck. And again, the actor does an amazing job yeah. of conveying like a lot underneath what he's saying. Yeah. I, as somebody who's been in that situation of having in a professional context, a conversation where everybody knows that the person that mm. you're talking about has just gone completely off the deep end, but nobody <laughs> can really say it in professional communications. Was, he, he did that very well. I agree. <laughs> I definitely agree. Mm-hmm. Data comes up with the solution last minute to use space gases to detect where Picard is during the maneuver so they can lock onto him with a tractor beam and concentrate their shields at the spot where he will appear and hit them at close range. They do indeed manage to lock onto the stargazer. Riker comes on screen and commands Picard to find the device and destroy it with his phaser. Somehow this works and Picard does it, returning to his his old self. <laughs> with, with After some very awkward phaser shoot with... <laughs> Phaser. Destroy with phaser. 
God, yes. <laughs> he was like really channeling some William Shatner with that one. <laughs> he was. Must destroy with phaser. <laughs> so good. Uh, upon coming to, Picard asks Riker where Bach is. Riker informs him that his first officer relieved him of duty as there was no profit in his actions. Picard, Picard sagely responds, with revenge, there never is. And then he goes on, let the dead rest and the past remain the past. Oh. Which... We'll discuss. I have words. Uh, he beams back aboard the Enterprise, and this ridiculous adventure is blissfully over. <laughs> <laughs> so, friend, oh. any uh, burning top thoughts about this episode? Yes. I have a really important question that is not insightful or interesting at all. But <laughs> in in the beginning of the episode, when um, Damon Bach is like, oh, we'll you know, come back in like three earth hours or whatever he says. I was mm -hmm. like, okay, so why are we doing time in earth hours? Is there a standardized space time? Like it's, and it was fascinating to think about how like life would be without the rhythm of like a sunrise and sunset, for example, like how that would impact like work and leisure and sleep schedules and how it would impact on the human body. And I was like, Technically, on a starship, you which, by the way, Lower Decks does a great job with, um, mm -hmm. it, uh, uh, with this idea that, like, on a starship, you essentially have people just working 24-7. Right. And, and, and crews doing stuff at different times. But I was like, yeah, what is the time mechanism? And what's the point of having Earth hours if you're not on Earth? Anyway, I, I, I was very, very perplexed by this thought. I was too. And especially given that the Ferengi, the Ferengi are just so poorly written. Yeah. So they're space traders, which in a lot of cases, a lot of stuff does make sense because usually merchants know a ton of shit, right? Uh -huh. Like they know a lot of things. Sure. They've been exposed to a lot of different people. They usually trade in information just as much as they trade in goods. So uh -huh. it like, makes sense that they would have some awareness of stuff. Uh -huh. But then on the other hand, the Frangi are supposed to be this uh, mysterious species that they have not had contact with before and who are new to the Federation. So it's like, why would they be talking in Earth hours? <laughs> it just doesn't make sense to me. Right, yeah. That 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 was one that was really... It just, it just got me thinking about one of the you know, complexities of space travel and space life. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there was somewhere in some episode, we'll have to pay attention that there was some other metric of time, like maybe a neutral space time that's being used, but uh -huh. they almost always just talk in earth hours. Yeah. Which is so funny because it's like, you're nowhere near earth. Yeah. Like you're, <laughs> why would you still be using, it's like in the, like military has its own time. Uh -huh. Why would Starfleet not have its own time uh -huh. that you use while you're on the ship? Uh -huh. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And it really doesn't make sense that like other species would be using it as well. Right. Even if they're just using it with the enterprise still, it's like why I just don't get it. Yeah. Yeah, so that was just a stray thought that I had, which, you know, I'm sure that people have thought that through, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I'll say off the top, there is a criminal lack of Wesley and Data in this episode, mm. which is absolutely unforgivable. Mm -hmm. 
But I will say that the time that both of them had on screen, they had amazing lines. They did. <laughs> and were serving us all kinds of autistic realness. So uh-huh. I'll uh, I'll let them get away with it because the quality was there, even if the quantity wasn't. And also, I loved but also hated Kazago's joke about I'm all ears. Oh, right, right. <laughs> it was like... The way he delivered it was great, it was. but I was like, "Ugh, this is such like an easy, obvious joke." Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that was really the low-hanging fruit joke, right there. <laughs> it was very much low-hanging fruit. I did. He's love... like, "As you humans say, I'm all ears," yeah, I and I was just like, "Dude." <laughs> I I did love back to the Wesley Data thing that. That Wesley like comes comes onto the bridge and he's like, you know, I was just playing around in engineering. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I was just tweaking our sensors, our long distance sensors. Like, nobody's and nobody I thought that's what this? he was gonna get yelled at, but no, he was yelled at I, for not using the comms. I know. I was, like, oh. I was like, I was like, I would be more like, um, what do you mean by playing around in engineering? Can we discuss this, please? <laughs> right. Like you're a oh. child and you're just tinkering with the ship yeah not really okay yeah (laughs) but no it was because he wasted time coming up to the bridge that's that's what he did wrong i do like i do like in this episode we get a little bit more of picard's backstory like it fleshes Mm -hmm. him out a little bit more like the the picard maneuver and you know kind of this sort of dimension this other dimension to him his old ship and that kind of thing which is which is kind of i always like episodes where you get a little backstory on a character and you start to kind of you know get a more three-dimensional view of them yeah i agree and i liked the if we're gonna have the card i always like to have beverly and have that their chemistry and you know their like playful sort of nature with each other so i was glad that like because of the headache she was so close by and they had so many to me, which were very funny interactions uh-huh. um, and just showing there, you know, again, she's the only person on the ship that can order him around. Right. But right. also because of their backstory, there's like more to it than that, even that. So uh-huh. it's just, I always find that dynamic really interesting. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're, they're like, their question mark, question mark, like, what is this relationship with these people is always just an interesting dynamic. And I, I, like, like you said, it adds an interesting dynamic to each episode that it shows up in. I thought this episode was essentially more white colonizer nonsense <laughs> where the, the premise could have been really compelling. Mm-hmm. What if, you know... As part of your service, you kill someone or kill a lot of people and you feel like you have to and then the past comes back and you have to reconcile with it. And the reason that I thought this was handled so poorly is because they made it so clear right out the gate that Picard was purely innocent, that everything he did was beyond reproach Uh and the Frankie were just so like, like why couldn't it have been a battle where things just got messy? They got into an altercation with an unknown species that they didn't know how to communicate with and things escalated and maybe he had to make a tough call and maybe it's something he has thought about the whole time. Maybe uh-huh. it's something that has haunted him throughout his career of like, was that the right call? Could I have done something different? Uh-huh. Um, 
But to have him completely forget about the situation and then also to have him be completely innocent and have and have the Frankie like really the Frankie ship just dropped in out of nowhere and attacked them. It just come on to me that that feels very um, anti-indigenous like, mm. oh, we went into someone else's territory and they just like attacked us savagely right. out of nowhere. It had that vibe to it. And also the fact that, like, he didn't even remember, like, the name Maxia didn't trigger anything in him to remember the incident mm-hmm. also kind of feels like this, uh, like, the indigenous people have their own name for an area mm-hmm. that is meaningful to them. And then the call, like, the settlers call it something else and, like, don't even have the awareness of what that the significance of that name is to the people who were there first. And it kind of gave me those vibes as well. Like for the Ferengi, or at least for this particular Ferengi, this was like a huge deal, you know, Uh to him. And Picard's like, oh, I don't even remember it. Like, I don't even remember the name of the area we were in. It just, it was just very insulting Uh that it was like the Ferengi were these petulant children yet again. Uh planning this revenge for an attack that was completely unjustified and just out of no, you know, by the context of the show was completely unjustified and out of nowhere. And then to Picard, it just is like this, this thing that didn't even make an impact on him enough for him to have even thought about it in years. Yeah. And that just felt really gross to me. It felt like we were supposed to definitely be on Picard's side the entire time. Yeah. And not allow for the complexity that, like, military service brings. Like, yeah, mm. you are going into someone else's turf. And maybe they misinterpreted or correctly interpreted, depending on how you're looking sure. at it, your intentions or communications or whatever. But, like, you know, you killed someone in a space that was not yours. Yeah. And how do we grapple with that? But of course we don't grapple with it. We just use it as like the Ferengi are just the enemy. Yep. All of them are the enemy. Yep. The son who attacked out of nowhere, the father who's just planning this ridiculous revenge, you know, they're uh-huh. just bad and there's nothing to feel complicated about. Which is interesting because even in the episode, the other people on the on the Ferengi ship recognize that the actions of the the captain, you know, were the, the revenge agenda was inappropriate, you know. Yeah. And so it's like there would have been room for a lot of dimensions. There's even a scene where with that scene with Picard with Crusher, where he starts questioning himself, and he's like, "I'm not so sure I did do the right thing," which I felt like was nudging the door open for that as well. And then it just kind of, you're right, it, it defaults back to but we're supposed to feel bad for Picard exclusively in the situation. Yeah. And it's, when you said that I hadn't looked at it in that dimension actually, but it it reminded me of a book that Jill Lepore wrote a number of years ago called the name of war. And it was, I think it's, I think it's called the name of war. Um, And it's about um, what's called King Philip's war, which King Philip, King Philip in quotations was an indigenous political figure who, was not a king and his name was not Philip. Um, but but it's just this interesting thing that gets into naming. And then even when you get into like what gets labeled, especially when we're talking about indigenous history, what gets labeled as massacres, um, Mm -hmm. 
And I even think of like, um, you know, Noam Chomsky and, you know, the, the, I think, I think he wrote it with Ed Herman, the politics of genocide, you know, like when something gets, the, the names that we give to things are so significant. And so for Picard, as you said, Picard to just dismiss it as like, oh, the battle of Maxia, I've never heard of that to not be like, to not even have the awareness that someone else would have a different narrative constructed Mm -hmm. around a, a past event that you know it's to not even be able to identify that i just found that like you said it's just unrealistic like surely he yeah. would hear the name maxim be like you know oh wow okay yeah i haven't really thought about that very much recently or something but yeah i i really did i, I really did hope for in that in the, the scene where he was you know questioning himself i i, I really hoped that they would that, that was the first time I was feeling some compassion for him because I was like, oh, he's actually grappling with the events of the past. But then it was all like, at the end of the episode, he says, let's just leave the past in the past. And I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's, that was the thing. When he said that line, I just was like, really? Like, you're yeah. not the one who gets to decide that. You're not the one who lost something that day. Mm-hmm. You don't get to tell other people to just leave the past in the past. And it was also just inappropriate because when the ship first turned up, it was like very nostalgic for him. He Mm -hmm. seemed to be almost giddy going to his old ship and looking around. And it just, that's what I mean is like the gravity of that entire situation, especially from what we know of Picard and how he, you know, and all of the crew, they're supposed to be people who take taking a life pretty seriously and try to avoid it yeah so it's just like to think that he blew up this entire ship of people he didn't even know he didn't even know who they were Uh and then just skipped on ahead with his life and completely forgot about it even so far as to be like the battle of maxia oh that's a dramatic name like i've never heard it you know referenced that way but it's like well okay so when they talked about the picard maneuver and the starfleet text how did they refer to the incident that it was used in right like he didn't real he didn't recognize the name maxia right it just doesn't make sense that was the star system that that happened in how do you not remember that and then just be like oh you're calling it the battle of maxia we called it like the incident at maxia or whatever right like it's not like maxia was an obscure name no yeah (laughs) it just didn't i just uh it just made me so sad and upset because so many times it's like the show is just really defensive in this very like white patriarchal way where it's like they just cannot allow Uh for anything to be messy Uh and for us to ever be wrong Uh you know and Uh if we are wrong then it always has to be in the past yeah. By people who are not us. Yeah. And therefore, we don't have to reckon with it. And I felt like this episode was that. It could have been very compelling to watch an aggrieved father go through taking his revenge out on Picard and Picard having to deal with that. And like you said, you know, they had that scene where Picard's starting to break down a little bit, but I feel like it was undercut by the fact that. It was really the mind control device that was making him so confused. It was the fake evidence. And it was, you know, just his fatigue and pain that he was in. And that's when Beverly sedated him, Uh almost saying, like, you're being hysterical. Yeah. 
you know, like clearly you're so in the right that like I can't even entertain and allow you to have this conversation uh-huh. right after she offered to talk. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's what made me, and, and it felt very like sad to me uh-huh. in terms of toxic masculinity or the way that we police men. Uh-huh. That like, because at first I was like, this is really nice. They're giving Picard this moment with this person. This is why I like him and Bev so much because they have this history. Yeah. He does feel like he can be a little bit less captainy with her. There's tenderness and be more of, yeah, be more of a person. Yeah. And so when she offered to talk, I was like, oh, this is actually really great. Like they're gonna, he's gonna talk to her and like talk about his feelings, <laughs> and he does for like two seconds, and then she fucking literally knocks him out. <laughs> right. With space sleepy juice. Yeah. Yeah. The second he gets emotional, and uh-huh. I'm like, I don't know what better fucking visual metaphor you could have for the way that we don't <laughs> let men, especially men in positions of power, have any self doubt, question themselves at all, have you know feelings that are not like yeah. anger or you know whatever. Um, well, and and, and that and works, just shut it down. It works for Damon Box's character too, like you said, because instead of getting this aggrieved father who is trying to process this trauma of losing his son, we get this like Bond villain-esque kind of like almost like comical over the top, you know, torture device thing in this elaborate plan to relive the whole thing. Like it's, it's, it's just almost kind of silly, you know, this whole plan. It is silly. Um, Yeah. I don't think even, even having these feelings I have, uh I never once felt bad for Damon Bach. Right. I could not find sympathy with him the way he was portrayed, even though, like, I obviously, like, intellectually do have sympathy for him. Mm-hmm. I couldn't feel it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the point, because it was silly mm-hmm. and childish and just so over the top mm-hmm. and so unnuanced, you know? Yep. It was just such a clumsy very clear-cut case because even even for damon bach like okay say it did turn out that his son had for whatever reason attacked the ship out of nowhere and it was legit that the ship had to defend itself like let's see damon bach have to grapple with that right you know let's see his pain as a father but also his expertise as a captain yep having to you know reconcile those two things of like Uh the grief of losing his son and also understanding that like picard really did follow protocol and really just did what he had to do to protect his crew Uh that could be interesting yeah but we didn't get any of that i mean by the time that you know damon bach reveals what's going on like you said it's very bond villain right he's like literally holding this ridiculous looking device and like master plan and then he's just removed from the story and we don't see him again yep yeah. Yeah, it was disappointing to say the least. Um it was just yet another chance that Star Trek had of like ha- you know exploring something messy and complicated mm-hmm. and instead just leaning into like Picard is beyond reproach. Mm-hmm. And any any difficulties Picard or a lot of the other characters on the show ever experience is from wily ridiculous aliens trying to make them feel bad for stuff that they refuse to feel bad about yeah and it's like okay i I know and i i had i had really complicated feelings about that with this episode because i felt like there were some things i really liked that this Mm -hmm. episode brought up for me in in that realm i just feel like i had to 
on the one hand, the episode treated us as like idiots with the, <laughs> you know, with the like the plot line, and on the other hand, left left too, almost too much for us to make the intellectual leap when we had to, mm-hmm. because I was thinking about the fact that there's this interesting lesson in this about history and about revisionism, you know, which is mm, which is I think what absolutely. some of this episode is about. It's about it's about names and history and and how we remember what we remember. And it really pushes up against our insistence and or refusal to believe certain narratives or like to confront different evidence. And I thought that like I actually actually liked that they did this, but then I felt like they took us halfway and didn't take us the rest of the way. What they did was they had the crew of the Enterprise going about the situation from the totally wrong angle. So they were assuming that Picard was right all along because that's what was in the textbook, <laughs> which, mm-hmm. you know, as a, as, a, as a career, you know, history teacher kind of made me wince, you know. It's like, well, <laughs> it was in the textbook. Yes. Um, not to say that they should have believed the faked captain's logs, but there could at least be some greater curiosity around it. You know, like it's not yeah. wrong that Picard would be questioning the choices he made. Like Data's, Data's line about one of these logs is a forgery is the correct conclusion, perhaps, but then Jordy jumps right in to saying that he knows which one is the forgery, and mm-hmm. that's both bad history and bad science. You don't ever approach something from, I know the conclusion, so I'm going to work backwards from that. You say, hey, some new evidence has come into, into play here. It's dubious, so let's be careful, but that could mean that our previous evidence is also a bit dubious. You know, I mean, I'm assuming that that Picard recorded that log either in the midst or right after the crisis. And so there's a lot, any historian will tell you, you have to evaluate that source of information then and say, okay, well, given the circumstances, you know, what can we expect to gain from this source and what can't we? And so I I, I figured like they took, in this episode, they took us there and I was like, oh, this is really exciting. This is super interesting. But then they didn't take us the rest of the way. Everybody just, everybody was just like, oh yeah, Picard's right. We know it. Instead of like, oh, maybe we should question some of this or maybe we should, you know, get curious about this. Riker was the only one who was like, hey, I have to report this, mm-hmm. you know? And even then he was like saying it apologetically. Right. It was almost like the old boys club, you know? Yeah. Where it's like, yeah. Yeah, oh. I was going to say that was the vibe I got too. Which was is disappointing. almost like the police or like the law enforcement in total, the way that like, they'll approach evidence and they'll approach things yeah. with a set conclusion in mind that they're yep. looking to confirm any way that they can and not, you know, not giving the other party any sense of consideration mm-hmm. ever mm-hmm. because it's like, no, this is our guy and we need to, we know that our guy didn't do anything wrong. So we're going to make sure that that's how the evidence looks too. Right, right, right. Yeah, and even there's that line that Bev has where she's like, why do captains think always think they're immortal? <laughs> and I thought that was also another gateway to that, mm-hmm. you know, to like questioning yeah. that. Like, yeah, why why do captains always think that? Maybe there's a flaw. In her, but like you said, then she doesn't want to engage with the captain. She just wants to be like, whoa, you're acting like you're, you're acting like you're mortal? Oh, fuck that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right. I know. After like two seconds ago <laughs> accusing you of thinking you're immortal. <laughs> And then he's like, oh, okay, let me show you my humanity. And she's like, look, gross, I'm going to knock you out. <laughs> I know. 
put you to bed in your uniform. Don't, <laughs> don't talk to me like talk that again, ever that, again. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was, it was just a lot. I agree. It was a lot of, um, there was actually a lot of promise in this episode, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but just the things that were promising were only delivered on halfway at best. Yep. And, uh, just the the larger questions weren't really posed to the audience mm-hmm. in any significant way. Mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of people who don't have our politics or our, like education, um, education meaning like political education mm-hmm. or viewpoint would really walk away and be questioning things like how we name stuff and right. what the power of that is. You know, I don't right. think like most audience members are going to walk away with anything but like, yeah, see, Picard was right because he's always right and he's never done anything wrong. Yep. And anytime an alien shows up accusing him of something, we just can automatically be on his side and not believe them. Which which they actually even say directly in the episode. Bev goes, what are you doing here? When Picard comes out of his quarters, you know, and he's like, I thought I was captain of this starship. And and, <laughs> and that's that's exactly, you know what I mean? Like as soon as the question gets yeah. asked, like, hey, wait a minute, what were you doing there? It's like, hey, I'm the captain here. I'll be the one asking the questions. You know. Exactly. <laughs> um, let's get on to the nitpicks. Oh, do you want to do your words of, words of wisdom first? I would love to do my words of wisdom. Um, there is a lot to choose from in this, in this episode. I know. I mean... Although some of it's a little tongue-in-cheek. But. I mean, words of wisdom was really word of wisdom. <laughs> from, from sweet baby boy adults. adults but also I just loved when he was like you're welcome ladies let's get to the captain no they might be affecting the captain to Riker you're welcome ladies adults <laughs> <laughs> that little bit of sass <laughs> you're welcome ladies that's Adults. why we love Leslie. I know. Because he's got that little bit of spice to him. Those were some great words of wisdom. I had, um, you know, I had some like kind of just other funny ones, uh, you know, that I thought were were hilarious. Uh, again, we get, what, what was, shoot, what was Jordy talking about? Jordy, Jordy has a sign where he's like, secure, sir, with like a little <laughs> bit of attitude. But now I totally forget what he was talking about when he said that. Um, that was good. We get, uh, we, I, I, I loved when Riker's like, I don't want a computer science lesson data, bottom line, which was just the, <laughs> the classic, like brute force line from, from Riker. There's uh, always gotta be at least one. There does. And then of course, words of wisdom from Picard, phaser, sphere, destroy <laughs> the sphere, Bach used it. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh, stop, stop this line. I'm sorry, Patrick Stewart. I'm sorry they gave Uh, you these lines. They just didn't even understand what the devices were. Because, like, I noticed when he came into the ready room and he kicked everyone out and he's acting all chipper and being very, like, condescending to everyone. I'm like... The, is that this the device, device is supposed to control your thoughts. Like right. you would think he'd be almost acting more like a zombie exactly. or like, you know, but he, he just had a different personality and I'm like, they just don't, 
they they don't get what they're doing. And also, right. like, why were the headaches even involved in the first place? Right. If he wasn't being mind controlled, like, was it a mind control and also headache device? <laughs> it just didn't make any sense. <laughs> and and the, the anti words of wisdom from this episode were let the dead Ooh. rest and the past remain the past. Yeah. Those are the anti words of wisdom. I had that one definitely highlighted myself yeah. of like but the, well, that's convenient yeah the, the the words of wisdom were really were really adults word of wisdom i mean it's it's just by far the best quote in the whole episode it is it is <laughs> i almost wanted to make that the rating for the episode oh i have a rating but it didn't quite make it didn't sense. make yeah yeah did you what yeah, did you I, what did and you when i rewatched it when picard when uh Crusher comes into his quarters and she's like, you called for me, Captain? He's like, I'm feeling fatigued and now I've got this damn headache. And I was like, yeah, and me having to watch this episode again, now I've got a damn headache too. <laughs> my, that's pretty good. Oh, I love that. What's your rating? My, my rating was from Troy um, when she goes, mm. I sense deception. Because <laughs> I was like, because at the beginning of the episode, I was that's really good. I was like, I was like, oh yeah, this episode. I, I think I remember this one. I think this one's pretty good. And then she's like, I sense deception. I was like, no, this episode takes a turn, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, that's really good. It was. We all sense deception right away because it's that's the other thing is like you can't do interesting stories when you from the jump have painted a character or a species or whatever as these just deceptive evil kind of people it's like oh it's the Frankie so we obviously know that like they're gonna do something fucked up you know it's like there's no reveal to be had here because you've already made these people look ridiculous and we're already on guard the second they're on screen yeah yeah it's like seeing Q and then being like, well, I don't know, you know? And then he does something tricky and you're like, what? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't see that coming. Wait, he manipulated the crew? <laughs> <laughs> oh. so ridiculous. So nitpicks. Nitpicks. I mean, I've already said a lot of them, but... Um, I just thought it was very weird to have this story center around the Ferengi who we just met, uh-huh. but also they said they haven't had contact with before uh-huh. because it just seems like it just continuity wise on top of like why them? Uh-huh. Because again, we already have we already have uh, preconceived notions about the Ferengi that make the story less uh, make the twist, you know, super obvious right on top of that like again so picard had this really big deal event and he and like did they not investigate afterwards i just don't understand how they didn't know that that was the ferengi that he whose ship he blew up so when they go to meet the ferengi for the first time and they keep making such a huge deal about how no one's had contact with them before then a few episodes later, we find out that Picard's blown up one of their ships before. Even something small, like when they met the Ferengi for the when they made the first contact, if Picard was like, "Oh, I've seen one of these ships before," even something like that would have at least helped to bridge that. Yeah. But they meet the Ferengi and they're like completely new, and no one's ever talked to them before. And then we find out, like, clearly that's not true. 
And it, you just have to think, too, if, like, Picard's ship bumped into them in this area, probably other Starfleet ships have bumped into them as well. Or they've had contact with other... Like, they were in the same area. So I just... I don't know. I just felt like it was very messy. I was like, if they were going to do this, it either should have been the first time we met the Ferengi. Like, we've never met them before. Uh-huh. And then that could have been a cool way for Picard to be like, whoa, wait a minute. Like, I recognize the shape of their ship. I feel like I've seen this before. Uh-huh. And that would have been a cool way to kind of cue the whole backstory. Or it should have just been a different species altogether. Yeah. Yeah, because they, yeah, they met the Ferengi earlier in season one as well and had mm-hmm. that really you know, awkward and horrible um, interaction. They had to get the power converter back. Right, that's right. Yeah, they couldn't go all the way to Tashi Station. Yeah, so it was just, <laughs> yeah. it was so weird that they didn't, they weren't like, ah, this is, this is sus, you know, and then, you know, and then right when Picard realized like, oh, I've got history here. I mean, even at that point, you'd be like, okay, Riker, you got to take over because there's going to be a conflict of interest here. Like I've got history or something. I, exactly. I, I don't know. There would have been some kind of, conversation yeah yeah and it's like i get it i know the ferengi were supposed to be the big bad and then they kind of shifted so Mm -hmm. i can understand that maybe like stuff was getting moved around sure uh episode to episode but like still it's just sloppy it's like we're not even talking about seasons later right we're talking about like a few few episodes episodes later (laughs) apart yeah where this is happening and you guys are already kind of messing up just any like logical flow here uh-huh. from what what you're saying has happened uh-huh. it just doesn't add up to like what we've already seen right right and <laughs> maybe that's why they wrote in that picard hadn't thought about it for years uh-huh. to kind of cover up the fact that he wasn't like oh wait like actually i think i have had contact with these people before uh-huh. but it's just sloppy it's like that's not that's not a good excuse and again it's just really is very hard to believe that someone hasn't thought about such a huge, important incident in their life when it did not happen that long ago. Right. Yeah. And again, it's being taught at Starfleet. I, like I know it's in a text. Picard book. must meet people all the time who are like, "Oh, oh my God, Picard you're Picard maneuver. from the Picard maneuver." Yeah. Yeah. So it's not like something he can forget. I just don't see how he could forget about it. I feel like just just in the course of his day to day life, he would be reminded of it by other people, if nothing else. Yeah. Yeah. Not to mention that it seems like it would have been personally significant as well. Exactly. But. Yeah, like Wesley wouldn't have ever been like, oh, the Picard maneuver, whatever. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, my nitpicks are just very specific. Like, (laughs) like the, I mean, the headache machine. First of all, like you said, I could never, I could just never figure out which we've already said. I could never figure out like why were there two of them and what exactly does it do. Um, Right. But the other thing, and this is a very specific thing. So the issue was they couldn't beam Picard back from the Stargazer onto the Enterprise because the shields were up. Mm -hmm. But then Damon Bach beams himself off of the Stargazer back onto his ship so that Picard can kill himself (laughs) and blow up his own ship. So, good point. Good point. So I'm like, well, how does he get away then? Well, the sh- does he like put the shields down and then beam out and then headache machine Picard into putting the shields back up again? Like, I, I don't know. I was just I was confused by that whole thing. And also, well, in the machine itself, like 
every time we see it up until that scene on the Stargazer, Damon Bach is manipulating it, making it seem like it's a right. thing that has to be used to do. Yeah, he's he's actually like physically moving it, you know. Yeah. Yeah, adjusting. And then it. he just leaves it there and somehow that's enough to like like he leaves it there so he no longer has either device. Right. To control Picard with. So right. it's like how is this still working? Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, that's a really that. good point. I didn't even notice that, but yeah, he did beam off after supposedly he shouldn't have been able to. So it's like, how did right. that work? Yeah. Maybe it's a headache device, a thought maker, and allows you to transport <laughs> through shields. <laughs> it's like a Swiss Army knife. Oh, that thing does glowing, everything, yeah. Glowing red space orbs. And that's why it's a forbidden device. I mean, you can do everything. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, be careful. You can open a can of soup with it. I mean, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> it's really great. Uh, computer, Campbell's <laughs> tomato soup in a can. <laughs> Unopened. <laughs> I bet some people do that to be like hipsters. Yeah. In space. <laughs> yeah, of course. They eat their soup out of a can. <sighs> well, did we say all the things? Um, I think I have like two more. Oh, yeah. But they're very quick. I just was like, how is there no defense against the Picard maneuver when you know that he's going to use it ahead of time? Mm -hmm. Like, I can understand if you don't know that it's a thing that can be done, then it would be hard to have a defense against it. But it just seems silly to me that like people knew about it. It was studied. It's been taught all these years. But no one's thought about like, okay, at least if you knew someone was going to use it, how would you defend against it? Mm -hmm. That just felt very sloppy to me. And and like you pointed out, it's also silly because obviously it was a way to make it seem like really cool. Like, oh, he can do this thing that like no one can guard against. But then Data comes up with a defense in like 30 and, seconds. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Like, is Data now going to go into the textbooks with the defense, the Data defense to the Picard maneuver? Like no the one talked about data this. Defense. Yeah, the data defense. I like that. I want I want that <laughs> in the textbook. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I just thought it was kind of silly. It was like, okay, but they know he's gonna do it. Mm -hmm. So whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, and then my last thought was like they kept saying that headaches don't really exist anymore, but then everyone kept blaming Picard's headaches on stress. Right. So I'm like, well, if stress still causes headaches, then I think that headaches would still be common. Right. Because people are stressed out all the time. It just was kind of a weird thing. Like they're trying yeah. to do this world building. Yeah. But then they're also forgetting, like they're using our current human um, explanations. Right. Not realizing like, oh, if headaches actually weren't common, then like you wouldn't say to someone, oh, just get some sleep or you just need, it's just stress. You would be like, I don't know what's causing your headache. No one has them anymore. Yeah, that's a cool idea. Like, I, I like the idea that, oh, the, the common cold and things like headaches have been basically mm -hmm. eradicated. Um, but and, and then the idea, well, you have a headache? Whoa, that's really serious. We got to, you know. Oh, what? Because no one gets these anymore. But then you're right. Yeah. Like, then when he has it, he's like, ah, oh, it's just a headache. And it's like, well, wait, but if those don't exist, then why are you so dismissive? Ah, oh, it's just a headache. Yeah, and everyone kept saying, like Riker said it to him, he's like, well, it's no wonder, sir. Like, yeah. you have all this stress from the Ferengi. And it's yeah. like, 
But if stress caused headaches, then they would still be common. Right. And I also just don't think headaches would go away. Right. I think maybe you would have pain blockers that uh-huh. were good at blocking them. But like the things that cause headaches, I feel like would still be. Yeah, you're a still problem. in a human body. Yeah. And I also don't know if the common cold would go away or right. whatever. I just don't know how you would inoculate against like any. Like we're supposed to get sick sometimes, you know? Right, right. We're actually not supposed to not ever get sick. Yeah. So, yeah, I just, I was like, I appreciate, I always like when they do some world building and kind of let us know what's changed and how things are different. Uh But I feel like they also just get very sloppy with it a lot of times and don't really think about it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So that's what I had for this. Well, that's what I had, too. It's not the worst that we watched, no. but it wasn't great. No, it, it was fine. You know, it was fine. Yeah, I was like, it was eh, fine. Okay, well, <laughs> it's like a comfort episode where yeah. you can just have it on. Yep, and it's like Star Trek is happening. Yeah, but you don't want to pay too much attention. You really didn't have to think too hard watching this one. No, yeah, which is sometimes no. nice. It can be. Yeah, it can be nice. Yeah. Um, harder when you have a podcast where you have to analyze it in deep detail. <laughs> right. Yes. Yes. I definitely <laughs> agree otherwise. with that. <laughs> uh, it's so hard because I'm like, I want you to be more. Damn it. I know. And I think it's frustrating too because now there are new shows on. Like Picard is a new show that uh-huh. is on currently right now, but isn't really doing any better. Uh-huh. And is still like so much of what I complain about Picard from these 80s episodes like still is happening today so right i think that's frustrating too to know that like there's really no evolution like they're so married to this idea of picard that they just cannot step away from it to do something that might be more interesting yep but more on that if um we ever get patrons on our patreon then we could review shows like Picard over there for some extra content. Ooh, a little call to action. But I'm not doing it till we get paid. <laughs> uh, but yeah, next episode, season one, episode nine or ten, <laughs> hide and cue, where oh. we're going to get to get some uh, juicy cue Picard sexual tension, which is always a fan favorite. Mm, okay, okay. I must confess, off the top of my head, I am not having a great recollection of this episode. I have no idea what happens in that okay, episode. Okay. I saw, I saw it, and I was like, I don't know. Also, another nitpick I have with Paramount Plus, mm-hmm. of which I have many. Mm-hmm. The description, and I would have to check, so maybe it's not their fault. But the description they had for this episode was like pure spoilers. Oh. I'm like, who fucking approved this? Oh. The description for the episode was literally like, uh, Damon Bach, a Ferengi captain, seeks revenge against Picard for killing his son in a battle that happened nine years ago or something. And I was like, oh, you basically don't need to bro. watch the episode now. <laughs> I know, like, what the <laughs> hell? I'm like, it already was very obvious what was happening, but like, you just really put it all out there. So, anyway. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I'd like to look at the kind of the thumbnail, I guess, for the episode and usually it'll jog something, but I have no idea what we're in for with the next appearance of Q, but I always love a Q episode. So I'm excited. We'll just hide in Q next, uh, next time. Hide in Q. <laughs> yeah. 
And Q, who now is on Picard, oh yeah, has aged quite well, I must say. Okay, okay. Quite a daddy. <laughs> it's like our two space daddies. Yeah, Picard and, and Q. And I just want them to kiss. But more on that another day. All right. All right, comrades. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you on the next one. Bye. Thanks for joining us today on our mission, comrade. To keep this galaxy-class starship chugging along, we need your help. If you like the show, consider supporting us by leaving us a good review on iTunes or your preferred podcasting app. Follow us on Instagram, share us with your friends, promote us on social media, or become a financial supporter of the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash redshirtcollective. Now, get off my ship. <laughs>